0: How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Fifty-three years ago this week, history was made when, for the very first time, five black players would start for one team in an NCAA championship game. Not only did they start, they won. And one of those winners is the pride of DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx, Willie Worsley. I'll be talking with Willie about then and now. I'll also be talking about the trade of Odell Beckham Jr. and some of the bull that's being spread about it. And speaking of spreading bull, you know that reported settlement Colin Kaepernick got from the NFL believed to be worth between 60 to $80 million? Well, don't believe it, because that, too, is a load of bull. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. Alright, with this folks being March Madness and the NCAA tournament being upon us, I thought it was really important to take a look back in history. The date to be March 19th, 1966, the place Cole Field House, University of Maryland. Don Haskins took his Texas Western Miners into the NCAA Championship Final against the legendary Adolph Rupp and his Lily White. I might add Kentucky Wildcats, led by a guy you're familiar with around these parts, Pat Riley. And he beat those Wildcats by the score of 72 to 65. It would mark the first time, the very first time in history. The year was 1966 that a team would start five black players in an NCAA championship game. One team. One of those players was a five foot six high school all American out of Witt Clinton High School in the Bronx, the point guard, Willie Worsley. It was just if you remember folks, over a year ago when my get a load of this podcast kicked off. My very first guest at the time was the aforementioned Willie Worsley, and I am extremely pleased to say here he is once again. Willie, welcome back, my friend. How you doing? Hey not bad for old man Russ. How you doing? I'm I'm doing really well and listen the tournament starts this week, and who better to talk about it? You, you know, and put some historical uh, uh, a footnote on them more than certainly more than a footnote, but a, let's just say perspective, because unfortunately, uh, both a lot of kids, both white, black, blue, green, whatever they don't realize what you and your teammates accomplished. So l- let me just start off by saying, asking you, Willie, when you and your Texas Western teammates were on that roll, okay, did you guys realize back then that you really were on the verge of making history?
2: Russ, can I be honest with you? We didn't know what history was. <laughs> <All> we, <laughs> that was one in the class we had to go to, the, the pass to be eligible. You know, uh, the good thing was we was 18, 19 years old. And, and from my perspective, I was close to the East. You know, we never play in the East. Right. You know, and I was close to home. And and they told me you're going to be on TV. My mother get a chance to see you play on TV. That was more important than anything else to me.
0: Yeah. it. it you know, well, since you brought that up about your mom, and I was going to get to it a little later, but, but correct me if, you know, I'm wrong, but wasn't that game the one and only time your mom got to see you play?
2: Absolutely. Sad to sad so. And you know, my mother, you know, worked very hard, not like these days. She didn't get a chance to come to the gym, watch her son play. She had to put pool on the table and close on my back. So she saw her baby on TV. I think that was one of her greatest thrills. Now, you're a coach, Willie. I believe
0: 19 years now at Spring Valley High School up in Rockland County. And a a coach coaches always say, I've heard this several times in all sports, don't let the game or the moment get too big, you know, just, you know, try and play the game. But was it tough not to let, I mean, whether you were worried about passing your grades or not, but there you are, it's, I don't care, black, white, again, blue or green, there you are in the NCAA final and it's five black young men going up against the Kentucky Wildcats. Was it difficult not to let the game get too big, knowing the historical aspect of what Coach Don
2: Haskins was attempting to do? Well, it was very, very tough because, you know, for some of us who remember back in those days, there was a lot of tension going on in the world. You know, in the 60s and the mid-60s was really hot and heavy. Right. Uh, we had to prove, not only to ourselves, to everybody who doubted us, that we could play under pressure. And what I mean by pressure was that, you know, we were known to be very athletic, but not really good, solid ball players.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, we said to ourselves, you know, we didn't say a word, but the look on our face and our body language said that, let's go out here and show people that we're only, not only good athletes, but we're also good ball players.
0: Now, what's remarkable to me, you first start like you were, I, I mentioned the pride of D. Wicklant High School in the Bronx, uh, mm-hmm. but you, you were raised, well, I shouldn't have raised, you were raised in the Bronx, but you were born in, uh, down in North Carolina. So, That's correct. You didn't start playing, when I read this, you didn't start playing basketball till you were 13 years old. I mean... To me, that's actually quite... I was fourteen. Oh, excuse me, you were fourteen I was years 14. Of... now, and I did I don't know if you were five foot six at fourteen, but you had to be <laughs> a shrimp. Either way, you know, and and I, I, I please don't be insulted because it's one shrimp to another here. But uh, okay, but you had to be pretty tough and confident to be able to reach the heights that you were able to achieve.
2: Well, you know, and and like I said, in the sixties. You have to have a lot of self-confidence, even to survive, even to survive, especially in the South Bronx, where I was raising and raised up at. And back to D.B. Clinton High School, we had 6,000 boys in D.B. Clinton High School. I mean, you know, and uh, not only that, too, we had to take a test to get into the school. So academically, it was tough. And athletic it was really, really tough. So you have to be strong. That helped me. But the main important thing that helped me was my mother. She always taught me to be the best you can be at all times. And that's what I tried to do. Uh, Wasn't wasn't she always, uh, I don't
0: want to say protective. Well, I guess all moms are protective (laughs) of of their sons, but didn't she worry about you playing? I mean, here's this five foot six guy, and he's playing against the
2: big trees. Well, now let me (laughs) tell you something that I have never told anyone. My mother was five foot. Well, she said five, but she's about 4'11. Right. So, actually, to her, I was big. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so she thought I was tall compared to her. And, you know, she's all that I had, you know. She raised me. and uh, But she taught me to think big and to think well of each other. And, and, and I
0: know you've taken that into your coaching. Now, before we get to 1966, and again, you say you started playing basketball at the age of— 14. So mm-hmm. ni- 1963, for a guy who who first started playing at the age of 14, 1963, you take the Whit Clinton High School and you lead them into the New York City High School Championship game inside of Madison Square Garden before 20,000 people and you are named the MVP. What was that like beating boys high?
2: Well, I tell you right now, that probably was, was one of the largest moments in my life because I was a junior in high school then, and you know uh, going to the old Madison Square Garden, uh, it was it was really one of the and that I was really frightened because I couldn't see I couldn't see twenty people, and in those days you could smoke in the arena, right? So after the first level, all I saw was smoke. <laughs> You know, so but no, it was it was a thrill that gave me the confidence that I could play basketball at five foot six or five foot five. You know, and there was some good ball players playing at Boys High School in those days.
0: Oh, boy, I, I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, that, that was. I mean, am I right? Boys
2: High was the favorite to win that game, were they not? Mm-hmm. Boys High been the favorite since I didn't know anything about Boys High. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you yes, know? You know, look at the, the alumni, you know, Connie Hawkins, and cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's, it's definitely a great
0: school. You, you mentioned your mom before. You know, the, that was the first time and only time she saw you play on TV. And I understand that high school game, your mom couldn't even attend that game at the garden. Am I right? No, no, no. She did
2: not. She couldn't come to the garden. Uh, once again, you know, she had to work. She she worked two jobs. You know, and in those days, you know, it was, you know, she did some housekeeping, and cellar and stuff like that. Uh, matter of fact, she didn't know that I played in the garden till she saw it in the paper. Really? And, right. And now, what I did, and I, you know, uh, I had a paper route early in the morning to make you notes, know, help with some of the bills and everything. I brought home my paper, and there's a picture of me, you know, on the paper. And she saw my name in big letters, and she thought, "Oh my gosh, but I did something wrong, <laughs> but you know, after she read it, you know she's very proud of me of always well
0: well, well, she should be because uh, her little boy, five foot six, Willie really would become a high school all american uh not only a high school all American but a high school all american uh on the same team, mm-hmm. one was a fellow by the name of Lou Alcinda, who would later become mm-hmm. Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Another guy on that team, Willie, Wes Unseld, who, mm-hmm. who uh, for the Baltimore Bullets, would be Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. I mean, what was it <laughs> like being on uh, an All-American team with those big boys?
2: Well, you know, first thing, everybody was big to me. Yeah, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> and second thing, too, I never thought of myself as an All-American. I just thought I was very fortunate enough to be gifted with a little bit of talent that I had to work on. And hopefully, you know, God will bless me and let me continue to improve at the pace that he wanted me to do so.
0: Well, I mean, you you certainly did some improving. I mean, so much so that you got something like 100 scholarship offers. But then then the ugliness and, and the reality of the times, if you will, as you brought up, set in, it was the 60s. Uh, you get like a hundred scholarship offers, but not everybody. You know those offers came you know, knowing about this guy Willie Worsley, but seventy-five of those offers backed out when they found out that you were black.
2: What was that feeling like? Well, that was very depressing. You know because uh, I worked hard, and in those days, you know we signed a four. You know you signed four-year contract, so the, those offers were for four years. And, you know, and to be my size and to be with other people and have a choice to go someplace that I would be the first in my family to ever to attend college, let's never, you know, complete it. And when they found out that words is not a typical black name and they found that I was black, it, it motivated me more. It just motivated me more that, you know what, I'm going to go to a small school. I'm going to be a big fish in a little pond a little
1: little fish in the big
0: pot. Right. You you know, Willie, hearing you talk, there is, I mean, you went, listen, I'm a kid of the 60s. I mean, we know what it was like then, you know, with civil rights and and breaking barriers and what. And for some of the crap that you went through, and we'll, we'll get into it, there's not a trace that I hear a trace of bitterness at all in your voice.
2: No, 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 Russ. You know, Russ, you know, man, you know, and when I'm speaking, I'm speaking straight from my heart and and honesty. I don't have time to be bitter. I really don't. You know, it's it's just like, you know, uh, the past is the past. What I got to do is work, make sure it doesn't affect me and make me come negative, you know, make me continue to be on a positive note and to help those people who are willing to take my, you know, help. I think each one of us, to try to each one to teach one. That's what I believe in. If I can help one person, be it a student, player, or adult, that's one person less to worry about. That's one person as well who's full of hate. I don't have time to hate.
0: Boy, that's well said, Willie. So with all those offers, you end up picking, as we know, Texas Western down in El Paso, Texas, which for you might as well have been uh, uh, Moscow, or, or some place yes, it, it, it,
2: it was to right <laughs> believe now, me
0: it was <laughs> right now you you've never been on a plane so what's your first flight i did my homework so tell it, me you ab- did you did tell me about mother airplane
2: oh my gosh you did the homework <laughs> you you get a you get a golden star right <laughs> go ahead okay uh, you have to realize you know being a person don't know nothing about an airport don't know nothing about airplanes so if no way in the world I could drive from New York City to El Paso, that's two and a half days. Right. And I couldn't drive no way. And if I catch a Greyhound bus, it'll be almost a week to travel. So what I did, you know, I got on the plane, and I'm going to check in my luggage. And in those days, you know, you pick you pick up your ticket early. I didn't know how to take my luggage in. I didn't know what I could take on the luggage. This little lady, uh, she got to be smaller than me. She probably reminded me of my real mother, because she was probably under five feet. She said, son, come here. You need some help? Now, you got to realize now, she's white. Mm-hmm. And I'm black. And she come to me and asked me, do I need help? I was scared to say yes. You know, so I said yes. And she said, follow me. We'll do this. I'm going to El Paso also. We got on the plane. She had a seat next to the window. And I had to sit in the aisle. I'm nervous. I don't know if I wear my pants or not, but I'm nervous. <laughs> I'll get up. So anyway, you know, we're about to take off. She said, give me a son. She already called me son. She put me next to the window, and she gave me a stick of gum. She said, "Chewing this gum, and your ears won't stop up. So I'm very smart. I said, am I ears going to stop up where I can't hurt nobody? You know, she said no. So she said, All do, close your eyes and just think as a bird flying. So we're going up, we be taking off, and my ears start to pop a little bit, of course. She holding my hand and my nails. You know, I don't have nails, but I was digging to this lady's hand. I think she still got scars the rest of her life for me holding her hand. And she got me through this. She got me checked in. She got me checked out. She got me there. And for the next four years, every Sunday, she come to the campus, campus, and pick up me and my roommate Willie Cages, and take her to her, us to her house and feed us dinner. For four years, that that went on. For four years, Russ, and the the other part about it in two thousand and six, we made a movie, Glory Roll. Right. You know, you know, we had a premiere. You know, and she was in a wheelchair. She, maybe in the eighties, and I'm, I'm not sure of her age. Uh, you know, they rolled up here, and she came. She found me, and I'm sitting next to the aisle, and she's uh, sitting in a wheelchair. And you see this big old fat black man and this beautiful little, little woman, white woman, crying and hugging and kissing each other. Mm-hmm. It was all on TV, you know, all on the local TVs. So she's been loving me for all her life, pretty much, to me.
0: But, you, you know, it goes to show you, I guess, you know, people who want to see color, they see color. And people who don't want to see color don't see it. That, that that's, Absolutely. That's a great story, Willie. You mentioned Glory Road. So Glory Road comes out, like as you said, in 2006, you know, all about, well, your Glory Road, if you will. Did mm-hmm. the, the, the movie, did you feel the movie did a good job depicting what you and your teammates went through back then? Well,
2: I think, you know, we all just made a movie. And they made, you know, good, clean, honest movies, you know. So they couldn't really show all of the negativism that we went through, you know. Right. They gave, they gave a little touch of it. Yeah, I tell you a funny story, Russ. You know, like you said, Willie Worth is all American. You know, and and the movie it doesn't really placate to our basketball skills. It's more of a history movie, yes, to for those individuals who wasn't around in the '60s to understand how the '60s was. So Jerry Buckhound was a producer. I said, Jerry, i think high school all American. I said, Willie, this not a basketball movie. It's a history movie. Very, very interesting.
0: You know what I remember about watching the game? And I remember where I was, uh, whose house I was in with my friends watching the game. But, you know, we're kids from Brooklyn. And to us, uh, it wasn't about watching five black guys start on one team. To us, we were rooting for Texas Western for no other reason then three of those guys, including you and 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 Willie Cage and Neville Shed, you and New York guys. That's all we were interested in. Hey, look, New Yorkers always take care of New Yorkers. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that that that's a it, it's a pride. It, it, it's something that we wear on a sleeve. Some are from the Bronx. I'm from Brooklyn, but it is still uh, New York. Now it's an unwritten rule. You guys take care of your homeboys. <laughs> that's right. I got to ask you this, Willie. Tell me about mm-hmm. playing in the Rucker Tournament in Harlem and some of the the names and big fellas you played against in that tournament.
2: Well, now I think that was my toughest assignment in, in basketball. <laughs> really, you know, uh-huh. uh, you know, in, in New York City, they don't care what kind of reputation you had on in high school or college. You got to go to the playground. Right. You got to go in the playground. And there's no bigger playground in New York than the Rutgers playground. So, I mean, you know, I was fortunate. I was on a team, you know, coached by Florida Lane. And I had Tiny Archibald, Austin Carr, you know, and those guys on the team, you know. And we were playing against the Pee Wee Curtains and, and the Kareens and the Connie Hawkins and the Bill Burwell, you know, all those guys, Roger Brown, Tony Jackson, you know, all those Ooh. guys you're playing against. You ever play
0: against Wilt in those tournaments?
2: Yeah, Will came down once or twice, right? you know, I and mean, he he he, was, he didn't really like coming down because, you know, the park was very small and people was on the fence, on the roof, you know, hanging in the trees and everything else, you know, and, you know, and, uh, when you, when them big guys came in, you know, it was bad, it, you know. it, it, Bill Bradley came down a couple of times, Bradley, Bill Bradley mm-hmm. came down, huh? Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> now you, you, you yeah. mentioned, uh, Tiny Archibald, Nate Archibald. Now, uh, he, he was more than just a participant in a ruckus tournament, you, you know, a, and he was certainly, you know, a Naismith Hall of Fame basketball player, as you and your Texas Western teammates would, would, would later become. But Nate also followed you. Weren't you a bit of a mentor to
2: Nate Archibald? Didn't he follow you to um, do it, Clinton? Yes, he did. Um, when I was a senior, Tiny was a sophomore. He was on the JV. Uh, when I left Clinton, and went to El Paso, Tiny went to Arizona West Junior College. In, in my last uh, year of college, me and were was the starting guard in Texas, Utah. Then, you know, Texas wedding. You know, Tiny was very nice to me. Let me be the leading scorer. You know. Right. What?
0: Didn't you find it funny that you're five foot six and they're calling Tiny, Tiny, and he was over six yeah. feet tall. Okay, it's a story, you need a homework,
2: record, Russ, i proud you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the story is, you know, me and Tiny do a lot of speaking games together, you know? Right. So we've been friends for over 50-some years. So I said, Tiny, excuse me, how the hell do they call you Tiny? I must be a little bit. I said, what? why do they call you Tiny? And he finally told me his father's name was Tiny. Right. So, you know, they called him Tiny, you know, because his father's name was Tiny. And, uh, you know, you know it took me 52 years to find that out.
0: <laughs> well, t- Tiny could certainly play, a- as could uh, as could Willie Worsley. Now, after college, you get drafted by the Dallas Chaparrales of the ABA. But you, fortunately for you, you get traded to the Nets. What was your enormous salary
2: that year? Oh, come on, man. I was rich. I think I made $6,500. i am sorry. I lied to you. I make six thousand five hundred dollars.
0: 6500 $6, $6, dollars. Right. Oh boy. Now
2: that's a lot of money. Now that's where a dollar was worth a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't. I don't think teacher was probably making about the same thing I was making. You're
0: probably. Oh. You're probably right. What you, you know, but thinking about that, did you ever? especially when you see what's going on now uh, in salaries and what. Did you ever look back and say, man, I'm serious about this, Willie. If I was six, seven inches taller, I could have had some career,
2: made some big-time cash? Well, you're half right, Russ. I look back and say I was born too early. You know, uh, I think my lack of size made my heart stronger, made my desire stronger. I see the things they was doing. I was doing when I was in junior high school. I mean, you gotta realize I was dunking the ball, you know, when I was five foot four or five foot three or something like that. And I could shoot with the best. I could run with the best. I could do all those things they doing now. And when they come out there and shoot those jumpers and they dunk the ball, I said, "Look, you're six foot nine. You stand flat foot and you touch the rim. That's not a hell of a job, you know." So, uh, <laughs> you know, I just think. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Willie. Go ahead. I just think I was born too early. Well, I mean,
0: I'm glad you brought up the the dunking thing. I, I mean, for people who might not comprehend what we're talking about, this is five foot six, Willie, and you're able to dunk, actually, almost tomahawk dunk the ball. W- where did that come from? Did you always have like strong legs? did you, Did you work
2: out more? Were you a runner? No, I was not a runner, and I'm allergic to weight. So uh, the point was that in the South, I played football. So, you know, I had, you know, powerful legs. They called me the a tree stump. And uh, I, I did a lot of, you know, in New York City, you know, we always walk in New York City. We always in a hurry to go to no place. You know, we walk here, we walk there. And when you don't have no money to catch the subway, I walked from the Bronx, you know, down to 123rd Street in Manhattan to play some basketball. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always walking, so I have strong legs. So God gave him some strong legs. You know, Willie, you're a coach.
0: And as I said, 19 years at Spring Valley High School. When you hear about, you know, these alleged, I'll call them alleged, uh, scandals in college sports these days, what do you think? Where where does the responsibility lie?
2: Well, I think there is a little bit on all three ways. I think the people who are, and let's start with the players. The players have responsibility to love the game. The player have responsibility to let the game use the game, or let the game use again. That's the first thing. Now we have got to this time of age now that everything's about the mighty power of the dollar, and and a lot of people do whatever they need to do to survive and to make a dollar, a big dollar. Right. And I, I think that's a problem right there. You, you know,
0: in your book, I, I want to mention it, uh, Willie Worsley's book, uh, Our Reward, Will Be in History. And and I folded the page because y- you talk about this one page, the first thing Don Haskins ever said to me when I came to El Paso, El Paso was about my schoolwork and how important it was. And then you go on to say, I mean, that... You had a forty-five year career, you know, non-related basketball, and, and you did well. Harry uh, uh, Flournoy, Willie Can't Cage, on, Flornoy yeah. became the high school teachers. David Latin, after you know his pro career, got a bachelor's of science degree in business. Joe Hill was a VP of you know natural gas in El Paso. Neville Shedd worked as a coordinator for student activities at University of Texas. Austin artist became a detective. And you, the way you're talking, you're all proud of it because, you know, like you were minority students in a tough time. You sense people of color don't realize what you guys did. Does that ever bother you,
2: Willie? Well, it bothered me some, Russ. Uh, it personally bothers me because I think they take for granted what they have. I think most of the young adults, and I could be wrong, it's to the left shoe, think they are entitlement to something, instead of working for something. You know, and I, I think everybody know, some people think, you no, know, the world owes you something. The only thing the world owes you is a chance, an opportunity. If you don't take advantage of it and you don't go out and do the right thing about it, then you're done. Uh, we worked hard. We had to work for our chance. We knew no one would never give us anything. We knew that we had to work twice as hard just to get equal. And I just say fair now, I said equal. Because life is not fair.
0: Well, you know, life might not be fair, Willie, but uh, I, I, I'm not saying this patronizing you. I, I mean... Uh, you're an example. Of, you might be five foot six, but you might as well be seven six in stature, my friend. Because <laughs> no, I mean it sincerely. Because some of the things that you say, just the way you just said that, and there's a reason why you and your teammates are in the Naismith, you know, Hall of Fame. You, you and your Texas Western teammates, and uh, you know, all the honors and what that came your way. Just the things you, you appreciate. I, I know when you talk about. Your invitation at the time uh, to the White House from mm-hmm. um, you know George W. Bush. I mean, that was right. a thrill for you, was it not? That was that was that was wonderful. How many
2: kids from the South and from the ghettos go to the White House? You know, and then you got to look at the whole team. Pretty much from a low economic background. Some from Missouri, you know, Detroit, you know, you know, Chicago, Indiana. We all had a background. That was not the best of backgrounds, and to walk—it's <laughs> a joke, Russ. When you go in, when you go into the White House, there are two sides of the rope. The right side is for the VIPs, and the left side is for the spectators. Ernie. Right. We was on the right side, and everybody was watching us walk. You know, special interest into the White House—that's a great feeling.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um... As I said, you might be five foot six, but in my eyes, Willie, you're seven, six, seven foot six. And I think when people hear you speak, they'll understand and, and feel the same way. Willie Worsley, my friend, uh, many, many good years ahead. Love you, pal. Thank you for being on. And all right. God bless.
2: All right. All right. Take care. God you, bless you. You be well, buddy. All right, bye bye.
0: All right. From. Basketball and Willie Worsley. Let's go to football and talk about the trade of uh, last week. Odell Beckham Jr. And as I said in the open, some of the bull that's being spread about it. And it is bull. Look, you can call me wrong, whatever you want, because I didn't expect Odell Beckham Jr. to be traded. But he was. But he wasn't shopped around, uh, as Dave Gettleman said this week. And as I said when the deal went down, that it happened within 24 hours. But I'm not here to discuss that. I'm, I'm here to talk about I'm not here to discuss it. I'm here to tell you some of the crap that's being spread about is complete bull. First of all, I look at the front page of the, one paper, the Daily News this past week picture of Dave Gettleman, giant chicken, giant chicken, calls Dave Gettleman a chicken because he wasn't facing the the media right away, giving answers. Well, first of all, let me tell you about this chicken garbage, okay? How many GMs, you want to call a man a chicken? How many GMs do you think would have the balls to trade a superstar player. The balls to make that deal. You know how many GMs I think? One, Dave Gettleman, especially here in New York. The biggest market in the world, he's pulling a trigger on a trade that he knows is going to erupt in, in, in a load of this, that, and everything. But he pulls the trigger on the trade. Knowing some people are going to hammer them. The, oh, they don't have a plan. They don't have this. I learned this a long time ago. And I think I've said it here on a podcast on more than one occasion. and And I learned it from a guy who I believe is the best. He is the best front office executive, you know, GM, if you will, that I've seen in any sport, and he's currently with the New York Islanders, Lou Lamarillo, because if you're going to be a really, really, really good GM running a team, it's not that you don't care about the fans, so don't misread what I'm saying, but you can't worry about the publicity or what the fans are going to say if that's going to guide you into making a deal or not making a deal you got to have the balls to go ahead with your convictions and live with it. All right? And Dave Gettleman did that. Now, if you ask me, I personally wish Odell Beckham Jr. was still here. But, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't working out. And, and as I said, I, I was talking to, to Odell all the way up leading to that deal. I didn't expect him to get traded, but he just didn't sound happy. So, again, as I said, maybe it was time for a divorce. But Dave Gettleman, a front page, and his chicken, chicken, my ass. And, and I had a laugh because when the deal was going down, when, once it went down, I'm watching on ESPN and Lewis Riddick. You know, everybody was analyzing this deal to their blue in the face. And Louis Riddick talks about, because everybody was hanging on to that, I don't trade play, we didn't pay him to trade him. And, you know, Riddick kind of made eyes like, oh, you know, he's going to have to live with that. Yeah, well, Dave Gettleman ain't worried about living with that. But here's a message for you, Mr. Louis Riddick. That's why... Dave Gettleman is the GM of the Giants, and you are not, even though you also were interviewed for the job. Because they don't need somebody who doesn't have the balls to go ahead and pull a trigger and not worry what the media or the fans are going to say. So that's why you, Louis Riddick, are on the outside looking in. Okay? You got to have the guts to make a deal and stick with it. You, 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 listen, you don't have to like what Dave Gettleman did. You don't have to like it one bit. And you want to criticize, but to use the term chicken. And then there's other bullshit, for, for lack of a better term, is when people say, you know, and I'm reading about, well, he's chicken because the fans need to know. It's always easy for the, for the media to use that line, the fans, like as if we need to know because we're the conduit, we're the people, we're the communicators for the fans. That, that's the bleeding heart BS, okay? The media, some of the media gets insulted because they want to know. They don't give a shit about the fans wanting to know. They want to know. And they use the fans as their front okay so let's let's if we're going to talk about stuff like that, let's be honest about it really and and then then uh, on what the heck was um where do I see it? oh what's his name the former uh head of player development and evaluation for the Giants, Mark Ross. is going on um, NFL Network. You know, talking about, oh, it's time to move on from Eli. Mark Ross, who also interviewed for the um, Giants GM job. Mark Ross, who, who's, I mean, he His balls are so small you can put them in a shot glass and still have room for the booze, Okay? But I remember Mark Ross, I'm at every Giants game, home game on Sundays. Okay? And I remember, you know, when Jerry Reese was the GM, Jerry Reese would come by, you know, walk around like just an average Joe. Owner John Marrow walks by without any fanfare. Mark Ross would do his peacock strutting, the big player evaluator. Hey, Mark Ross, you got the balls to criticize the Giants and question what they're doing? You know, Jerry Reese has taken a beat beating for his draft, for this, for that. You were there. You were part of the player evaluation. But you're trying to make a name for yourself to try and get into TV, so you know what? You're throwing um, bullets and and, and slings and arrows at your former team. Makes you a fraud, buddy. Makes you a fraud. So, like I say, folks, you don't have to like the trade. You don't have to like it one bit. You know, I, I would say the value, first of all, You're never going to get, when you're trading a superstar, it's hard to get equal value. But as Gettleman explained, basically he got two ones. He he got the 17th round pick, excuse me, the, the number 17 pick in the first round, but he also got Jabril Peppers, who was a first round pick a couple of years ago. Plus he got the third round pick. But whether you like it or not, question the trade, if you want, that's fine. But don't question the guts of Dave Gettleman. Okay? call him. Calling him a chicken is asinine. It's stupid. It makes zero, zero sense. You know, and, and then I got to hear, uh, you know, people talking. Yeah, well, th- that's why maybe some of you people aren't GMs. You know? Maybe that's why a Lewis Riddick and, and, and a Mark Ross aren't GMs. And that's why Dave Gettleman is the GM of your New York football giants. And in the bull department, one more item. You know all this talk uh, when it went down when the NFL settled with Colin Kaepernick over collusion whatever the hell you want to call it and you know the reports came out that's believed to be worth that he he got a settlement with the NFL for between 60 to 80 million dollars between 60 to 80 million dollars all right which is certainly a lot of money and that's fine but let me tell you this folks take it to the bank since we're talking about so much money it is not remotely close to 60 to 80 million dollars it's probably someplace not probably it is someplace in the area from 9 to 12 13 million dollars now i'm not saying that's not a lot of schkarrol that's not a lot of cash greenbacks but it's not the exorbitant number that was thrown out there 60 to 80 million dollars So Kaepernick, you know, there was a settlement. There certainly was a settlement with the National Football League. But uh, it's a far cry from 60 to 80. It's more like 9 to uh, 12, 13 million dollars. And uh, as I said, you can take that to the bank. As I guess Colin Kaepernick is. And that, my friends, is a wrap-on today. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. And now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on this podcast. You can let me know on Twitter at Russ Salzberg, on Facebook. You can also visit my website, real simple, at at russsalzberg.com. My thanks, as always, to the big man with me, Crash, a.k.a. Mike Caragliano, across the way, takes good care of me. Uh... Chris Rudsky, head of the OG Podcast Network, my outstanding OG Podcast Network producer, Tim Einickel, Craig Schwab, 77WABC program director, his outstanding assistant, Matt Dahl. And last but certainly not least, you guys and gals out there, because without you guys and gals, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. See you next week.